Good to be with you. My name's Luke, one of our pastors, usually over at our Edgewood campus. Um, hello to everyone over there, and as well at our, our Bel Air campus at John Carroll School. Uh, good to, to be back and gathered with you. Probably some of you who are gathered are, are new or are newer, and that's exciting. Welcome. Uh, glad, glad that you're here. You're probably just getting up to speed that we're, uh, we're in the middle of this book now, um, just right at the midway point, chapter 15 of the story. Which, uh, which is helping us work our way all the way through the Bible. Uh, most of what's in here is, is just the Bible text. Uh, there, there are some parts that have been edited to, uh, to kind of read more like a story, or as a novel would. And uh, there's some summary statements made, but mostly it's just the Bible. It's been a very helpful tool for us and a, and a great journey as we work our way all the way through. If you don't yet have one, you've got to get one. Um, stop outside and grab one. Or lots of versions out there, Spanish and audio and kids and, and adults and all of those things. So, so make sure you get one of those books in your hand to, to kind of walk with us uh, through the story. And I know we're right in the middle, and it's hard to start a book in the middle. So if that's you, if you are just starting, just jump in and we'll roll on. You can... You can uh, catch up on what you've read as you're able to, but we'll just move ahead uh, from right at this point. So today is uh, chapter 15, and uh, upon arriving here, upon opening the story to this point, we very much have a sense that we're in uh, the middle, somewhere in the middle. Uh, I suspect you know that every story kind of has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And likewise, life kind of ushers us along in those, that kind of cycle. There are beginnings, middles, and ends. Life, life has beginnings, and we like beginnings. There is uh, some excitement and some general uh, anticipation about the future. Things are, are new and fresh. We have a sense of purpose and hope, like at the beginning of a new year. And even if it's the beginning of something hard, it's at the start where we have the most energy and the most drive to move ahead and take it on. We like beginnings. And, and we like endings. The, the end brings resolution. It's an end to our striving. You, know, you cross a finish line and you can look back on what you've accomplished. And it's, it's fulfilling. It brings perspective and maturity. The end delivers clarity and understanding. Whether it's graduation or retirement, you, know, you can see better from the end. You learned something. You, you achieved answers to your questions. You, you've gotten somewhere when you arrived at the end. We like endings. But we're in the middle today. So much of life is spent in the middle where, where things like clarity and hope can be hard to come by. And things just feel like a mess. From the middle, sometimes it can be hard uh, to see. It seems like the beginning is very far from view. Like we're not even sure where we started or, or how we got here. And sometimes from the middle, it's hard to be sure about where things are headed. Hard to say with confidence that we're going to get where we set out to get from the beginning. We're in the middle. And it's a mess. Life brings you to moments like that sometimes. And the story of God's people has arrived at that place in chapter 15, to the middle, where whatever has developed, Whatever, ha whatever God has been building to, to get us to this point is now very much in jeopardy of coming undone. It, it's a mess. And it's described uh, very succinctly in chapter 15 by the prophet Elijah. And he does it in almost tweetable fashion. Right? Twitter, uh, share ideas and information instantly. Uh, express yourself. Well, that's exactly what Elijah does. 
Shoot's got a quick note to just let him know what's going on down here in this story that he's writing on page 207 in the story or 2 Kings 19 and verse 10 in the Bible. Elijah replied to God, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. That's your introduction to Elijah the prophet. Now here's what's going on with your people, God. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Hashtag, what a mess. That's what's happening in the story. There's your status update, God. Yeah, these people that you've chosen to be with and to use to bless the world, they've rejected you. To prove it, they've torn down all your altars. All those places where a person could go to to, to express their devotion to you, gone. And now, all of your prophets whom you've charged to represent you and to speak for you, they've killed them all, except me, but I'm on the hit list too. Things are just going great for Elijah, real swell. How's your life, by the way? That's where we're at in the story right now. As an observer, you you can see it. As As a reader holding the book in your hands, you... You can observe the mess. And it kind of comes by surprise. Really, it, This is not where we thought we would end up when we started. I mean, especially where the story has come in recent weeks and chapters. I mean, just not too long ago, God had, had just given his people the king that they were clamoring for. King David, the warrior poet, the national hero. And David established the borders of, the, of this nation in the land that God had given to them. He, he then successfully passed on the kingdom to his son Solomon, and, and he expanded the kingdom even further, and there was this wonderful time of peace. And it, Solomon was uh, very uh, well on his way to becoming the greatest king in the world. Like, like, really, people came from everywhere just to see him, and it seemed that the goal with which God began to use these people to bless the entire world, it was being fulfilled as the world-renowned kingdom of Israel was at the height of its glory. But now it's all fallen apart. As we read last week, the kingdom is divided. There's a civil war. Rebellions and coups are constantly afoot. One idiot king follows another. The people whom God had picked have rejected the special relationship they had with God, torn down all remnants of godly worship, and they're killing all the people who speak for God. My, how quickly things change. My, how quickly things change. You've said that before, right? You've observed that about life before, that it can change quickly. If you don't stay on top of things, if you're not paying attention, it can change. All of a sudden, you're in a mess. What once was working, now doesn't. What once was good, now isn't. You look around and you just think, wait, wait it's not supposed to be this way. This is, this is not what I had in mind. Like uh, like at the office, right? When you when you go away on vacation and and you left things a certain way before you left, and uh, you had designs on how things should function while you're gone, only to return and discover what everything's out of order. It's not supposed to look like this. This isn't right. This this isn't what I had in mind. Or 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 at home, like if you have little children, like like multiples of them, and you leave them somewhere in a room by themselves for you know eight, nine, like ten seconds, and you go away, and then you come back, and no, 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 this, this how did this happen? How, what did what did you do? Right? 
And sometimes you're left asking yourself questions like that about more serious matters. Like when you run off with that guy you hardly know, thinking it'll be a great idea for you two to move in together. But then three months later, you're pregnant, broke, and he's gone. Staring in the mirror, trying to cover up the bruises with makeup, wondering, wait, it's not supposed to be this way. This, this is not what I had in mind. Or when you go off to college, new beginning, new opportunity, finally got the freedom you've so desperately been longing for, but you're not really grounded in anything. And after the first semester, you failed all your classes, think you might have an STD, and now your parents just told you they're not going to pay for school anymore. My, how quickly things change. That's the kind of thing you say to yourself when you didn't nip it in the bud when that female coworker took notice of you and started giving you attention. And you just went out to lunch together once. Innocent, right? Just a little boost for your ego. Just a little escape from life's stress. But flash forward 18 months and you're divorced. You only see your kids once a month and the woman you left your wife for just left you. You're in a mess. My, how quickly things change. Well, what happened in the story? I mean, life has us asking that question sometimes, but the story also has us asking in chapter 15, why did things change? How did we get into this mess? Why is a gifted prophet and leader of God's people on the run for his life? Well, you're going to need both eyes to see it because everybody's trying to cover it up. Just, just ignore it. They're blind to the problem. God, God's people are not ready to admit that there's anything wrong. And that's why God has to send a message. God's messengers, that's what this chapter is titled. And that, that's a fitting way to describe uh, the prophets. They speak for God. God needs to communicate with his people in order to shine some light on their situation. He, he's seeking to, to bring clarity to what's going on. He, he offers them a, a new and, and higher perspective. And as good as those things might uh, seem to us sometimes, I bet you can understand why a prophet and his message weren't always welcome. The, the prophets bring critique. When everybody thinks everything's going just fine, they say, nope, it's out of whack, and it needs to be corrected. They speak truth. The truth hurts. They, they announce judgment. There is a sin that needs to be dealt with, and there will be consequences, but nobody wants that. They, uh, they reveal God at a time when he's been ignored, shelved, benched in favor of someone else. When God's people have turned their backs on God or they've, they've distorted the image of who God really is, God sends a prophet to say, remember me? But when you have made God to be your adversary, you're not eager to see his face. I suspect you can understand why nobody wanted a prophet around. When we have made decisions about how we're going to live our lives, nobody wants a prophet telling them they ain't doing it right. That's how Ahab felt. Ahab was the king of Israel uh, during this time. We're introduced to him in chapter 15 of the story. He's described like this in the Bible, 1 Kings 16. Ahab married Jezebel, daughter of a foreign king, and he began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar of Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. 
Ahab also made an Asherah pole, that's another goddess, and he did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. So that's who he is. Now you're quickly beginning to see why things were going so wrong for Israel. I said before, you're going to need both eyes to see it, and so I'll just tell you, the first eye is idolatry. You see, how I, see what I did there? Right? Both eyes. Get them. Ahab is the king of Israel, but he lacks any allegiance to the God of Israel. And when God can't trust his kings to lead his people, well, then he has to ask his prophets to step up. Enter Elijah. And Elijah and Ahab, not real chummy, as you might imagine. And so with these two, we enter into chapter 15 uh, to, some, uh, to a place where we've actually been before together um, in the Bible. Two years ago, about March 2012, in our Mountain Dew series, we spent a week on Mount Carmel and witnessed this epic showdown that, uh, that occurred there. And it's a fantastic story. You, you should uh, grab the CD or listen to it online when you can and uh, kind of uh, see it in its entirety there. Uh, but, uh, so we've done it before, but it's good to... Um, well, you just got to hear some of it again. It's a great story. Okay. So uh, you got Elijah and Ahab and their rivals. And about this time, Elijah just can't stomach Ahab's idolatry any longer. And so he challenges him. He says, meet me on Mount Carmel and gather the whole nation. Bring all of Israel out there to Mount Carmel and bring with you the 450 prophets of Baal. And while you're at it, bring the 400 prophets of Asherah as well. And so they all gather, I mean, this is big, this is like pay-per-view kind of stuff, right? So they're, they're out on Mount Carmel, and, and while they're there, Elijah addresses the crowd. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. It's that simple. And he's arranged a way for them to discover who is the real God. He orders that two altars be built, and on each of them a bull will be sacrificed. The God who responds in fire and burns up the sacrifice, he is God. And so they agree. And the, the prophets of Baal, go, they, they won the coin toss, they go first. They dress up their altar and put the bull there, and then they surround it and begin uh, inciting and, and petitioning Baal to respond. And they're shouting all, all morning long, all the way until noontime, and nothing happens. So Elijah's watching this, and uh, he starts talking a little trash. Shout louder, he says. Surely, I mean, Baal must be a busy guy. Maybe, maybe he's traveling or perhaps he's just sleeping and he needs someone to wake him up. Shout louder. And so that's what they do. They begin shouting and dancing around the altar. They, they start gashing themselves and letting their blood flow as was their custom all the way into the evening time. But the Bible says no one heard, no one responded, no one paid any attention. So it's Elijah's turn. And he comes to his altar and prepares it, the bull on the wood and the stones around there. And then he says, take, take four large jars of water and pour it on top. And they do. Do it again, he said. And they do it again. Do it a third time. And so they did. They poured it, doused it, uh, drenched completely the, the bull and the wood and the stones. It's dripping down, uh, filling a trench now that Elijah had dug around the altar. And that's when Elijah looks to the heaven and says, God, answer me. Prove to these people that you are God in Israel. 
And at that moment, fire fell and burned up the sacrifice. But not only that, but the wood and the stones, it licked up all the water around the trench, just sucked it right up, right before the people's eyes, this amazing display of power. The people fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. Elijah orders the prophets of Baal be killed. There's your bedtime story for the night. It's a great story. Just this amazing moment. What you would think would have the ability to turn the tide for God's people. And maybe it did for a minute. Or maybe longer for some. But really, you know, nothing much changed. That uh, status update we heard from Elijah earlier, that actually happened after this. Even the most public, definitive, most awesome display of the Lord's might wasn't enough to curb the idolatry of the people. Upon hearing or reading that story, I think uh, there are a couple natural responses. The first is, those idiots. I mean, it's it's silly watching such a one-sided contest and to think that people could still side with the loser. I mean, who would do that? I mean, we we know what we would do if we were there. I mean, surely if we'd have been there and saw what they saw, there'd be no turning back for us. We'd be selling out for God. That's what we'd we'd be doing. And a second likely response to that story is something along the lines of, uh, that's weird, like bulls being sacrificed and dancing around and gashing yourself, all these pagan worship practices, all this Old Testament kind of stuff. It's so far removed from our civilized society. Idolatry is just a thing of the past. But might I suggest that either of those conclusions would make us just as blind as the people we're reading about the people that Elijah is having so much trouble getting through to. We actually do have to thoughtfully consider, are we so much different from them? Is there a gap? Is their situation irrelevant to ours? Yeah, they're they're simpletons. We know so much more about the world. Plus, we, we have access to the whole story, beginning to end, not just the middle. I mean, we have a perspective that sees history through the lens of an empty tomb. We, too, are witnesses to an epic showdown where God proved himself conquering the grave, and we can see a victorious Jesus standing there, God in the flesh. He looks at us and makes promises to us, offers us life, and says, sell out for me. But yet, how many things keep us from doing that. Are we so different from them? No, you'll never see an Asherah pole or or an altar of Baal set up in Harford County. And we'll never be caught shouting or dancing around or gashing ourselves and hope that Baal will respond. No, our idol worship is much more civilized than that. Instead, we will consume That will be our worship. We will accumulate lots of stuff, well more than we need or even can manage. Our appetite will be our God. And we'll listen to it whenever it tells us we need more. In turn, we will make demands of it. We will trust it and the stuff we collect to give life meaning and purpose and joy. 
Instead of seeking the God who supplies everything we need, we will persist in demanding that our stuff do what it was never intended to do. And it won't deliver. We might as well be shouting at Baal. We will control everything and everyone around us. That will be how we worship. We will trust that dictating life's outcomes will bring us peace. We will always work to make sure that everything happens and works out for our benefit because that's what's going to give us the best chance at life. Never mind the God who cannot be stopped from working out his good purposes in the world. The God who controls even life's storms. We won't submit control to him. We prefer to manipulate things ourselves. We might as well gash our wrists and dance around. We will indulge. Pleasure will be our God. And in the name of that God, we will dishonor ourselves and other people. We will treat people like objects. We will place our trust in physical and emotional highs to give us a life that's worth living. We will forfeit true joy for momentary thrills as long as we can get another and another and another, but we will not hold out our hands to the God who loves to give good gifts to his children. Significance will be our God. We will pursue prominence as if our worth as a person depended on it. We, know we will not rest until we're noticed. We will not stop until we're at the top of the heap. What's most important is to be important. We will not listen to a God who accepts us as we are. Security. Security, that will be our God. We will make life predictable and comfortable for us. All threats will be eliminated. The security God will always trump the God who created us. The creator God is far too dangerous. He asks too much. The security God has equipped us with an arsenal of reasons why it's always better to play it safe. And we are well-schooled in the art of self-preservation. Even though the God who proved himself by licking up the water with fire, even though that God said the only way to gain your life is to lose it, no, we'd rather dance around the altar that guarantees a predictable outcome. And if all of those fail to satisfy, then religion will be our God. We will trust in our own righteousness. Religion will provide us a way for us to be better than other people. And we will segregate ourselves from those who aren't as good as us, from anyone else who looks different from us. Our days will be consumed with comparing ourselves to everyone else around us, and our conversations will always be self-justifying. The righteousness we've earned on our own, that will be our reward, and we will cling to it rather than any righteousness given to us by the Savior of the world. We'll gather around the altar of religion and expect it to save us. We'll bark up that tree, we'll shout at that God morning to night, and we will wait for it to deliver. But it won't. And neither will the rest of us. That's the real issue here with, with idolatry. It's not just that the prophets shout at the people for their idolatry because it's naughty. You did, you did something bad. They're saying you're missing out. You're being duped. They're here to introduce, to reveal the God of the story and say He wants to know you. He, he makes promises to you. He has purposes for you. He wants to give you the good life. And he can deliver. 
trusting idols to give you the good life. Who cares if it's naughty? It's foolish. It's fruitless. Idolatry is not an ancient problem. And I think we just need to to know that and say it and call it what it is. Idols are not a thing of the past. They're just like us. They're just like people. They're still kicking, but they dress differently. And they have not lost their power to lead us astray. And so we need a prophet. We need to hear from God, the real God. Which God are you listening to? Which God have you allowed to sway you with its promises? Which God are you trusting to get the most out of life? In spite of its promises, idolatry will always make a mess out of life. Idols always overpromise and underdeliver. They say they will fulfill, but they leave you empty. They promise to keep you safe, but our anxiety only increases. Think you're being set free only to be enslaved. You end up in a mess. When our relationship with God is distorted, it makes a mess out of life. Sometimes we need a prophet to help us see that. As I said before, it it takes uh, two eyes to see what's going on in, in this tumultuous part of the story. And to give us a clear picture, God sends another prophet, if you can take it, another prophet with another message for Israel. His name is Amos, a shepherd from Tekoa, as he's introduced. So very typical of God to use such a regular guy for a special purpose. God has been known to do that. We've seen that happen in the story. It's not what we do. I mean, it's like, who cares? A shepherd from Tekoa. Andrew, a farmer from Tacoma. I don't care. It's not who I would have picked. If I'm writing the Bible, if I'm choosing who's going to do it, holy scripture, I ain't picking him. But God is. And he chooses Amos when he has a message for Israel to tell him what's going on. Amos is sent uh, to Israel, the, the northern kingdom. Remember, the nation is divided, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Elijah and then Elisha had their careers in Israel, and now God is speaking through Amos. And and he sends him with with a message that uh, begins with a type of prophecy that we can all tolerate. Uh, Judgment on other people. I got no problem with that. That, that, That's fine. We we can just let that happen, and that's what Amos does. He starts flinging it around everywhere. Damascus, Tyre, Gaza, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Judah. Oh, man, they're all messed up. You should see these. It's it's time that they get what they deserve. Idolatry. But but you know what's worth these crimes against humanity? It's terrible. Oppression, slavery, killing women and babies. No, no, no. You, You see that. You can't allow that. You felt like that before? When you hear those stories on the news about what all of those people did, oh, that just makes you sick. How could they? It's it's terrible what what some people do. But Amos isn't finished. In fact, he's not even begun. You see, what Amos does next, and what they don't do on the news, is hold up a mirror. talking about you now. 
You've got a mess on your hands, Israel, and I'm about to tell you why. For three sins of Israel, and even for four, I will not relent, says God. Because you sell innocent people for silver. I've even seen you sell a needy person for a pair of sandals. You trample on the heads of the poor as if they're the dust of the ground. You deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and it profanes my holy name. And you thought everyone else had problems. But I'm not finished, God says through Amos. Hear the word, people of Israel. The word the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family that I brought up out of Egypt. You only, you're the ones that I've chose out of everyone in all the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. I picked you. Remember? That's why this is such a big deal. I formed you. I made you what you are. Don't you remember when you were in Egypt how you were oppressed there? How they forced you into slavery and mistreated you? Don't you remember? You cried out to me to save you, and I did. And now look at you, gather everyone up on the mountains of Samaria, look at Israel and see the unrest within her. See the oppression among her people. They don't know how to do right, declares the Lord. You want examples? Okay, there are those who, who hate the one who holds, upholds justice in court. They detest anyone who tells the truth. You levy these strong taxes on the poor, their straw and their grain. It overwhelms them. Therefore, I know you've built built stone mansions. You will not live in them. I know that you have uh, lush gardens that you've planted and prepared. You will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. You see, here is the verdict. You have turned justice into poison, the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. For the Lord God Almighty declares, I will stir up a nation against you, O house of Israel, and you will be oppressed all the way from one border to the other. You will get a taste of your own medicine, for you will reap exactly what you have sown. Man, right? Like, ouch. Just, you can see why nobody wants a prophet around. We're not inviting this guy to the next party. No, it's not coming. Israel is forced to reckon with another eye that is distorting what God intended for them. Injustice. Their relationships with other people. Brother to brother, sister to sister, man to woman. They're out of whack. And they need to be corrected. But it's going to be hard to convince these people. Oh, they're quite comfortable with the way things are. Lush gardens, fortified palaces, beds inlaid with ivory, feasting and drinking. It's an affluent society. Made up of people who have made decisions about how they're going to live and acquired the power to maintain that lifestyle. But it has come at a cost. Paid by those on the bottom of the social ladder who cannot be seen from atop palace balconies. But those people are not invisible to God. That's a fact you just cannot miss when you read the Bible, especially when you read the prophets. Even though our tendency is to dismiss or or to avoid anyone who's weaker or different or poorer, God over and over again affirms their value. 
over and over again, he demonstrates that he is especially concerned for those who eke by on the fringes, those whose, whose need is great or whose dignity is being trampled. That's who God is. Scripture bursts forth to describe God. He fights the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets prisoners free. He sustains the orphan and the widow. With righteousness, he judges the needy. He extends justice to the poor of the earth. That's who God is. And likewise, his scriptures command his people, seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Plead for the widow. Share your food with the hungry. Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. Israel's not doing that. They're missing what it means to be God's people and represent God to the world. And what's worse is they can't see it. They just go on like nothing's wrong. Going through with their religious festivals like they're doing the Sunday church thing, like everything's okay, week in, week out, singing the songs, let justice roll like a river wide. We lay down our lives for heaven's cause. On and on like this, going through the religious motions stepping past their own flesh and blood so they can get to church and pay their dues only to walk all over their brothers on the way back to their mansions. God is not okay with that. This is not what it means to represent God to the world. He is fed up, and this is what he has to say. I hate it. I detest, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Get away from me with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to your music any longer. But let me tell you what you can do. It's something that's been missing from among you for too long. In fact, too many times throughout history it has gone unrealized. And I need my prophets to proclaim it and my people to live it. I've said it to my people over and over again and it's the same thing that Martin Luther King bellowed from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to a nation and a church who were holding it back. Let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. You might as well not even come to sing and and pray in here if you cannot uphold justice and love your brothers and sisters out there. God ain't messing around. So he speaks through his prophets. Fitting that we're listening to God's ancient prophets at a time of year when we remember one of our modern prophets, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He was convinced, just as God's prophets of old were, that when we distort our relationships with other people, it makes a mess out of life. He was stuck in the middle of it. He saw how ugly it was. And against the torrential stream of injustice that constantly threatened to overtake him, he did everything he could to put an end to it. So what about you? Have you committed yourself to the same? What about this second eye, injustice? Where might we be guilty of it? 
Well, nobody wants to think about that. But these are the prophets. That's what they make us do. Not all of us, but most of us live lives of relative comfort. Have God's blessings to us brought with them a responsibility or a sense of responsibility to others and and a, a concern for those on the margins? Or have we been blinded to the needs of others? You read, when you read the prophets, you, you, you just can't uh, help but think. It, gives, it helps you look at the world differently, and, and you almost have to start asking yourself, what do I see that's, that's wrong in the world that God is calling me to help set right? Human trafficking, racism, malnutrition, God cares about those things. And if you listen to the prophets, you'll care about them too. And you'll have to respond. And how about the poor? We know what God thinks of them. What is your, your attitude toward the poor? Contempt? Indifference? Judgment? I know that being poor doesn't automatically mean that you're righteous or without responsibility. But neither does being rich. God's message for us today is, I think, pretty simple and pretty clear. Our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. Life's about getting those right. That's everything that the Ten Commandments are about. That's what it boiled down to for Jesus. Love God and love your neighbor. And likewise, the prophets, who are not so much about predicting what's coming as they are about calling people back to the basics. Your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. A prophet will tell you, when those things are distorted, it makes a mess out of life. Coming to grips with the prophetic word can be a lot to process, especially when things are really out of line. The, the prophets critique. They speak truth. The truth hurts. They drag up sin and parade it in front of you. The, the prophetic uh, pronouncement of judgment can be intimidating and it can tend to turn us away from God, whether in anger or, or shame or fear. But the prophet Amos gives his people some simple direction for how they can best respond to his message. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. And that's what he's saying to us today. Seek me and live. I hope that you can hear the the, the Lord Jesus saying that to you as we approach uh, the communion table right now. For it's here where Jesus invites us to seek him and to find him. It's here where he proclaims, there's life in me. There there is forgiveness here, no matter how much you may have distorted things. If only you will move toward me instead of away from me. Seek me and live. Seek Jesus and listen to what he's saying to you in these moments as we... Uh, pass the bread and the cup to one another, those who are uh, 
serving can, can begin to take their place. Seek the one who gave up his body, who shed his blood for you. And, and as you do that in these moments, perhaps this is the time to repent. Repentance is a quite natural response to the prophetic word. Maybe there is something for which you need to repent, idolatry or injustice or however the Lord leads you. Perhaps there is an idol that just needs to be put away. You need to quit pursuing it. Name it in these moments and instead seek the Lord. Or maybe you need to use this time to to invite God to, to show you someone who has been invisible to you. You need God to help you to to see him and to take up their cause in Jesus' name. Seek the Lord in these moments and be ready to hear and to respond to the message as we eat and drink together. Let's pray. God, thank you for, for your word, which is to us at times a comfort and healing and hope. And we even thank you for the times when it is critique and challenge, when it confronts us with the message of truth. Sometimes we are not ready to hear it or we don't want to hear it, but I pray that you would make us ready to hear whatever you're saying to us in this moment. Thank you for your messengers, for their courage and their willingness to speak forth the truth. Let us hear your voice today. May we respond to you. May we seek you and may we truly find life. Thank you for the life represented in this meal, for Christ's victory over death, which we claim as we take the bread and the cup together. Pray that you would make of us a community that uh, truly reflects you in all of your goodness and glory and justice. May it be true of us that uh, we would be a people where all are welcome here, just as we've sung already today. And we pray that justice would roll like a burning, that it would roll like a river wild, that mercy would grow like a burning fire. Make all of that true and use us to do it. It's in your name we pray.